because nobody was giving me anything. I was just, I started from below the bottom of the ladder and worked my way up. I'm, I do believe in that old expression, there's no such thing as luck. I believe in the harder you work, the luckier you get. Don't, don't count on your life as I'm gonna win the lottery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we are joined by one of our amazing guests, Jim Flaherty, who has been on the podcast once before. He's a man that I am deeply inspired by and a man who has a lot of wisdom and life experience to share with us. And today, we're going to be talking about Jim's new book that just got released called Embrace Your Age. Um, and we talked about his last book in one of our other podcast interviews, Dear Old Friends, The Band Won't Stop Playing Until You Stop Dancing, which basically is a combination of a memoir, love letters, and life lessons from a man who is 87 going on 60. So Jim, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you back. I'm so happy to, to learn from you again and uh, just welcome. Thank you, doctor. So uh, I have a lot of questions for you. I, I've had the wonderful opportunity to read your book, Embrace Your Age which I do highly recommend because it's very rare that we get to get wisdom from, you know, our elders, but those that are truly spry in doing things. And before we even hit record, Jim was sharing with me a few things. He just released a book. He's working on a screenplay. He's doing a TEDx talk, and he's probably <laughs> too humble to share these things. But just that is the frame for this conversation, that we're in the presence of a man who's been on this earth for longer than most of us and is doing more than many of us believe is possible at any age. So, Jim, you're chronologically 87 rotations around the Earth, Earth going around the, the sun. How old are you, though? How old do you feel? Let's start there. Very excellent question, uh, doctor. I, I've left with myself thinking, Jesus, what would happen if I wake up tomorrow and I'm suddenly old? <laughs> How would I handle it? I really don't feel any different, I swear, than I did when I was 50. It's just... Another day, I am I am one of those people that, based on something that my late great mother taught me, she was widowed, my father died young, that every day, you could start every day instead of, good God, another day, with, good God, another day, you know, and I really do accept the fact that there are no guarantees that you're going to wake up on the right side of the grass tomorrow. Uh, and when you do, hot damn, it's another chance to hear, see, sense, smell, touch, feel, love, share, give. I mean, I think it is such a gift that I sure as hell don't want to waste <laughs> waste any of it. Mm -hmm. And it, and I I people say, well, Flaherty, you're so you're so damn busy all the time. What are you doing just because you're living on borrowed time? I don't feel that way at all. You know, my 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 daughters say very, and they say it very lovingly, and, and make me laugh a lot. Say, a, a thoughtful father of eighty-seven would just go to bed and not wake up and leave his children money. But no, not you. You'll live forever just to spite us. <laughs> <laughs> and I will. I have no intention of waking up on the grass, on the wrong side of the grass tomorrow, or anytime soon. I have a I have a big future ahead of me. Because life, life goes on. Life goes on. I no, I don't expect to live 
to 120. <laughs> yes, I am going to a workshop next week, and I'll be with Dan Butner, yeah. who discovered the blue zones. Yeah. You know, which is going to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, no, I I think every every day is an opportunity. You know, and I'm I'm very annoyed. It's it's true. The old saying: "You're as old as you think." Too many people are just getting old instead of growing old. Mm. You know, and you are as old as you think. And with that aging population, it's getting to be a financial drain, yeah. an emotional drain, and it's terrible to see it when it's people you love that were once vibrant and exciting and big stuff suddenly say, "No, I can't. I can't do anything." And I'm I, I I'm I'm too busy. I say do, too busy doing what? They say nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean they're vegging out. Yeah. And I don't want people to veg out. God bless it. I want people to have a purpose. I want everyone to wake up. I I know I sound like a some stupid cheerleader, but I, I really I don't want people to wake up and say yeah another day. But I do want them to wake up and say, great. I wonder. I hope I made a list last night, which I do every night. I make a list of the six or seven things that are priorities for the next day. I, so I've got something to concentrate on and something to do. And I want people to have a purpose, a reason to wake up with a smile. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did it for years because I was a cheerful workaholic. <laughs> and Noel Coward said years ago, a great line, which I adopted, work is more fun than fun. Mm -hmm. And I and I and I totally agreed because you know it's great to float around a pool with a margarita for a half an hour, <laughs> but not forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's just wildly boring after a while. Well, I you think know. in that kind of mindset, a lot of people are trying to escape their life instead of embracing their life. This escaping these stressors, and it's funny because like we think we know something about circumstances. You can put two different people in the same circumstance, but they relate to it differently, and they have a completely different experience and. Oh, absolutely. so you're not just embracing your age, you're embracing life. I think that's like a, something. I'm embracing life. Yeah, that's what seems true to me. I mean, I accept my age. I know I, people say, well, while you're down in the Baja for this workshop, Jim, are you going to take uh, surfing lessons? No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing for an 87 year old to yeah. do. You know, I, I do exercise 30 minutes every morning in my pool. Yeah. I do every day. Every day, it's, uh, but I think you do have to embrace your age, but not let your age dictate what you can and can't do, other than being physically careful and not. Yeah. All right, Jim. So I have a question for you that kind of came out to the beginning part of your book, and that's about our culture around aging. And I think there's a lot of terms thrown around that people are familiar with. There's racism, there's sexism, but something that's interesting is ageism. It's the idea that we have that people are debilitated when they're old. And I think ageism was interesting to me when you discussed it, because it might be a cultural thing, like a stigma externally, but I think maybe the more poignant aspect of ageism is the ageism that reflects back on our own self-talk and image, that people age are ageists to themselves. So Talk to what is ageism? How does it show up in our culture? And, and what's the mentality of that like? And what would you like to see different about this? Well, I mean, let's let's back up a little bit. It was always said in every business, after a while, whatever your profession, 
it comes time for you to be retired. Of course, I was in the advertising business, the young, the hip, the everything. So nobody wanted you to be a 50-year-old creative director, even though I now I think, what a shame. It didn't matter. I dropped out of advertising on my own to do something else just on a lark. <laughs> but I would have been a better creative director in my 50s and 60s mm-hmm. than in my 30s and 40s. I knew more. I was more grounded in what I knew and what I knew what could happen to a market or to a product or to a service. Like, look at what's happening in Paris. Everybody's rioting in the streets because these are going to raise the retirement age by two years. And they're from 62 to 64. And I'm and now we've what is it sixty two I th- if, I think if you wait till sixty two before you apply for social security is the highest r- rate you can get and now they're talking about maybe putting retirement up to seventy or seventy five because the population is growing older mm-hmm. medicine is better doctors are better hospitals are better now I I didn't come from an extraordinarily long life, long lived DNA. I didn't. All the Flaherty men died before sixty, so I thought, well, don't don't plan on any long range things, Flaherty. You, you're not going to be around. Then suddenly I was sixty, and then I was seventy, and still <laughs> dancing as fast as I could. And I thought, hmm. And when I hit eighty, I thought, do I feel any different than I did ten years ago? No. I wonder how I'll feel at 90 and I, not really not really in my mind thinking you're not going to live that long. Okay, I'll be 88 in September. <laughs> you know, and I and I feel fine. I I went in for my physical a month ago and I said to the doctor, "Here I am, your most boring patient. There's nothing wrong with me." And he was reading my blood test. He said, "You're right, Jim. There's nothing wrong with you." You know, so yeah, I've had a cancer. I've had a few surgeries. Big deal. You get over things, you know, you go on with your life. But back to ageism, you know, they there was adolescence and then they came up with a new word, middle essence, <laughs> and now there's a new word, elder essence. And if you think about it, that oh, I know, there was a great piece of research that came out, said they used to say the most productive years of your life are forty to fifty. That was a, a given accepted data, you know. They've changed that now. They say the most productive years are, I think, 60 to 70, and the next were 70 to 80, and then 40 to 50. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really, they're realizing that with age comes uh, can I quote somebody else's Please. book? Um, there's an Arthur Brooks. Mm-hmm. He's a professor at Harvard. He teaches happiness, mm-hmm. <laughs> among other things. And he wrote a fantastic book called From Strength to Strength. And he talks about how you have fluid intelligence where you're opening doors and climbing mountains and inventing and discovering. And then after a certain point in all professions, there is a decline, which doesn't mean that you're not any good anymore, but 
it's a good time to switch from fluid intelligence to crystallized intelligence where you can mentor other people, you can teach, you can write, you can do things to to help other yeah. people. You know, because your your intelligence IQ and attitude about things changes. You know, I I'm I have a much calmer approach to other people's problems now than I did when I was young. <laughs> when I was young, I'd look at it and say, what are you, nuts? <laughs> Just, and push them aside. Now I, I listen to what people are saying, and I'm, I'm trying to understand where they, where they are coming from. And, and age is most often the cause. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really killing Anthony. I mean, I have friends that were women, some women I'm thinking of right now, that were sticks of dynamite that are becoming little old ladies. Mm-hmm. And the head is still there, but they're not allowing themselves to move into that new world. Yeah. A couple of things come to mind. It's like these bodies have the natural physically declining trajectory and part of embracing your age is throwing up the sail and going with those changing winds so you're not fighting life right. you're moving with it right and the other thing is these, these ex- you have expressions of creative outlet through writing and reading and communicating conversing calling and talking to friends having relationships it seems like when those energy outlets stop why does there need to be any more current running through the machine like you know when when you're no longer making yourself of purpose and good use so I think the fact that you're so connected and still pushing out things and allowing the creative energy to flow through you is probably a good reason why your mind stays as sharp as it is. You know, I, I imagine that's the case, right. but I'd love to hear from you. And there's le- less opportunity to slide. In. I'm not a doctor, but it, certainly if, as long as you are learning, it is unlikely that you are going to slide into dementia. Mm-hmm. I know dementia. I just finished three and a half years of caring for my partner with dementia. And it, God, is it hard? Mm-hmm. It just kills you. Somebody that you know is brilliant and wonderful and that you care for and they disappear cell by cell, hour by hour, day by day mm-hmm. in front of you. It's because they've lost their ability to create, produce, function. Mm-hmm. No, I, yes, we all know there are obvious, obviously there are um, other reasons. There are health reasons. Mm-hmm. If you know, if your DNA or the big guy in the sky says, "I'm sorry, Flaherty, mm-hmm. <laughs> you've had it," you know, it happens. And you, but even that, in a good family, you can try to handle yeah. it. You know, I have a friend right now who's going through fourth stage pancreatic cancer. He's young, he's 64. You know, I would take it rather than let him have it because he's a nice guy and I love him and I love his wife. But he's taking the right attitude and he went to MD Anderson and he's working on it and it's getting better. <laughs> and he's not he's not letting it kill him. For a lot of people, they get that word and they say, well, it's all over. I'm going to curl up in the fetal position and call it quick. Okay, so question I have for you on that exact note is like many people, we've heard the 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 common adages, people believe they're over the hill, best days are behind them, old dog can't learn new tricks. Like what are some reframes that are true about aging 
that are in this like positive, productive light? Like what are some true things that you know about aging, having lived in your body for this amount of time? What's true and what's a reframe of these things? A couple that would be useful for you to share. I would love that. Okay. One of the things that, that I just mentioned, actually, <laughs> these are little little things, but I think it's very, very important, especially if you have a lot of older friends. I said, everybody, whatever you're doing, you know there are things that you should do tomorrow. Maybe it's calling your your Aunt Norma or... <laughs> calling so-and-so a, a, a person who's alone or writing a note to your grandchildren mm-hmm. or calling uh, New York State Electric and Gas <laughs> to argue with them or whatever it is, but make a note every night of things you have to do the next day so that there's you have specific things to do. Then with other people, I say besides that, you're there is no reason in the world to say, well, I'm, what they're saying to themselves is, I'm no good anymore. I have nothing to offer. No one cares about me. That's only because you feel that way. If you reach out to other people, and if if we who don't have those problems reach out to the, especially the lone, the elders who are living alone, they really have a problem. Elders living alone is a is a very tough, tough proposition for anybody. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with money, income. It's they're living alone and they they have too much time to be alone and to think of life is over. But I say, think of all the things you can finally do. You finally have time. Uh, For me, I stopped working 70 hours a week. I had time to (laughs) write novels. I wrote two novels and then two nonfiction books. And I did those in my 80s <laughs> because I had finally had time to do it. And I said, people, you have time. One woman said, I'm always, my bucket list, always, I always wanted to play piano. I said, great. The Great Courses has a sale for $39. You can And you can start taking piano courses at home. If you like it, then you can go out and hire, go to a teacher. Uh, one woman said, there's only one thing worth learning, that's bridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and fine. It's a great thing to learn if you're elderly because it forces you to think and to remember and to analyze, you know, or, or take up painting. People, a lot of people feel they inside of themselves that they can paint, whether they can or not. It's terrific to take a course in it. You know, much harder to course in writing. I I belong to a writer's group, and in it there are four women who I swear had never written anything but a note to their children their whole life, who are terrific writers. I mean, they're wonderful, wonderful writers. When they sit down and attack a subject, and and they're all they're women in their seventies, you know, and I it excites me. To see them doing it, and they they look forward to it. That one hour we spend together, other, together every week, is the highlight of their week. And then they talk to all of their friends about it, and they write their children about it, and they're putting books together and doing things. And I I think it's great. You know, there's there's so many options in life now. You're not alone with the computer. You know, people say, well, I can't handle. I'm just not tech. I said, you have 
for God's sake, you have a, a high school junior <laughs> as a granddaughter. She knows more than you'll ever know mm -hmm. anyway. Have her come and say, I'm going to pay you to teach teach mm -hmm. me and come and do it. Do it. You know, I mean, there's always a way to do it and to find a new outlet and a new way to reframe your life and to think of yourself differently. You know, if, if people I, in my, well, you know, from reading the book, I, which is a story that I really carried throughout my whole life from my mother, the importance of your bathroom mirror. <laughs> she says, every morning you have to face your biggest critic, the, the highest hurdle that you have to leap over the, the hardest person you know. It's you in your bathroom mirror. And that's when you can say, so I was an idiot yesterday and I, I apologize. <laughs> or, or the mirror tells you, I really didn't like what you did yesterday. You didn't have to say, why don't you look at Weight Watchers and AA? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, know, you didn't really have to say yeah. that. <laughs> but, and I do that. I talk to the mirror, and that's my psychiatrist, and say, how are we doing? <laughs> and it, it really, it's a good way to have a chat with yourself uh, to say, am I doing everything I can to be part of the world? I'm going to interrupt myself mm -hmm. for a moment. I saw, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember his name. Wonderful, wonderful speaker. I, he was a professor or a psychiatrist. And he said, okay, I want you to put down in six words, I'm going to give you five minutes, and in six words, I want you to put down who you are and what you represent and what you want to be. <laughs> six words. I thought, okay. So I sat there for five minutes, and I wrote it. I have, I have it taped to my monitor, so I have to see it all day. Okay. I am present, living, giving, loving. I am present. I'm there. I'm... I'm not hiding out. I am, mm -hmm. I'm available. I'm, by the way, I'm trying to start something in, in this town. I don't know whether we can. It, we're a group of small towns together. I want to start an organization called Experience Speaks and to have a, a, a bunch of seniors mm -hmm. from all different aspects of life to be ah. available for counseling, not for serious medical issues, you know, Nothing that is requires prescriptions or medical thing, but to talk to us about mm -hmm. what's going on in their life, just to help give them an older point of view from people who have, have not yeah. given up. I think that's brilliant. And it's something certainly that back to the ageism that we could use more in our culture. I think that, you know, not that, not that I have direct experience, but you hear from some traditional cultures, traditional Native American cultures, the elder is among the most important people and source of wisdom. And like, we can use a flavor of that in our Western culture. Yeah. Now, I have a question for, or I guess it's more of a, a comment on something. You, you share many great bits of advice from authors that you admire as a writer yourself. And one is Chip Connolly. Yeah, great I'd author. Love to, that's where I'm going to, okay, to good. this Dan Buettner thing. I'm going to Modern Elder Academy. Okay, perfect. And one yeah. quote that he shares that you share in the book is this. It's unfortunately, most of us only see ourselves in comparison to those around us. Can you speak to uh, that quote about the nature of comparison? And maybe it's comparison to others, 
and what that ends up doing to ourselves, but also comparison to ourselves in the past and the, the nature oh, of yeah. comparison and aging. I think these are very, this is an important topic and I'd love you to parse it out. Very important. I, I really believe, uh, doctor, that too many people live with their self-image. You know, uh, I have a, a wonderful bronze statue at the end of my pool. It's of Narcissus. Mm -hmm. It's by a Mexican sculptor, and so it's called Narciso in Spanish. <laughs> and Narcissus was a great Greek image of the perfect-looking human being who was so entranced with his own appearance that all he could do was look at look at himself in the river or the lake to see his own image. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people never get over that image of who they were when they were on the top of the mountain. You know, I I laugh, laugh. People said, why are you doing more now, Jim? Why didn't you do it when you were a madman in New York City? You know, you didn't have to read New York Magazine or New Yorker. You could just ask Jim because I knew everything. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I said, no, because that was that image. That was the role I was playing then. Yep. Now I'm a, a different person. I, I can't live that image. And too many people live that. And then as they get older, they compare themselves with what they were. Mm -hmm. And they never get over the fact of, I'm not in the corner office anymore. <laughs> I'm not a sex icon, <laughs> not that I ever was, but I'm not, I'm not all those things that I envision myself. And then the rest of it is, as you say, it's comparison. Am I as smart as he is or they are, looks play a great role in aging. People suffer from the fact that they, you know, somebody said, well, you exercise every day, Jim. I mean, you still have a six pack? I said, no, an 87 year old body looks like an unpacked case of insure. <laughs> I said, it is not a six pack or a 12 pack. I said, I try to keep it looking decent. I don't want to look have a, an eight month pregnant belly on me. I don't find that very attractive. Okay. But comparisons are physical and mental. It's, I don't know. I think you do. And I think I got so much value out of it. There's like, there's, there's certain standards that you do uphold with your, the physical, there's standards and non-negotiables that change at every bit of time for you. And probably back from, from some of the army days, it's the it's a waistline kind of thing that you still keep in check. Mm -hmm. But it seems also what's really relevant is like, you, you must sacrifice and die to your old image of the past to be born into this new image and you're constantly reinventing yourself in in the grace and constraints of how the body ages naturally. Like you're not doing the surf lessons, but you are swimming every day and you find those standards and you're still sticking to them. You're still striving for excellence, but it's excellence within a continually updated framework of what is appropriate, possible, interesting, and what what drives you now. It's um I don't know if I'm articulating well, but these are some things that I kind of took out of what you were sharing well, there. There's almost like talk, a sacrifice of an old to be a well, new. Let's talk about, about your podcast. It's called the Fit Father Podcast. Yeah. I know you must talk to people all the time about how you can be more fit and healthier and therefore live longer. I'm, I also made a, I think, I think a very smart decision. 
when when I was caring for someone with dementia, there were no rules. We ate whatever he wanted to eat. We did whatever he wanted to do. Now I I put myself on a very healthy, very happy regimen. I get up early in the morning and turn around and make my bed, even though I have a, a full-time nanny. I make my bed every morning and come out and have all fresh cut up fruit with homemade applesauce on it. No bread. That's my breakfast. I then go to the pool and 30 minutes of not swimming laps. I do seven different ex exercises, some of them with weights in the pool, then come up and shower and change for the day. I have my dinner, the one other meal of the day, sometime between 2.30 and 4.30. So, and that's it. I found, I didn't have to have three meals. It's not, and I don't have lunch. It's, I'll have a full dinner today when you and I are through at 4.15 my time. Esther, my nanny, will announce on Alexa, <laughs> say, you know, Senor Jim, dinner is ready. <laughs> Come out and, and I'll have something brilliant and it'll be a healthy dinner at that. More vegetables and salad and things, but but great meat or ahi tuna or steak or yeah. chicken or something wonderful. You know, um, it, you know, you have to, you must make decisions, especially about about health as you get older. I mean, yeah. you, you, it, it's really stupid if you don't, then you're going to make it harder, you know, as, as is. I'm, I really don't have any problem. I sleep well. Yeah, obviously, I, fortunately, I stopped smoking 60, 61 years ago. And I, I stopped drinking at age 80, too. I decided I really don't need to drink. <laughs> Wasn't drinking that much, but I thought, yeah, not necessary. Yeah. Uh, um, but it, I don't know. It's yes, you do make day-to-day -day decisions about about your life without dwe without dwelling on the fact of God. I'm 87. I wonder if I'm going to make 88. <laughs> I really am not dwelling on that. And it's very clear that you have a routine that for you brings health, happiness, and performance. Mm -hmm. I mean, you get you get up, you have a structured, like this is going to be very familiar to everyone listening to this who's a part of our fitness programs. You get up, you have a structured, standardized breakfast that you actually enjoy. Same you train. Breakfast. Yep. You don't know variation because it's rhythm and it's routine and it makes you feel great. Mm -hmm. Dialed in, no thinking effort. You do exercise that feels great on your body, that energizes you, that you enjoy. And then you have productive work time and you close it down with a really nice dinner that is healthy, but still super enjoyable. And you're not counting your calories and that works. I mean, right. like you have a high performance routine. And I think a lot of times people like lose their routines when they get out of the work structure and you have, a, you've created this, this new version of your routine. I'm sure it's different than the routine that you had at 60, 50, 40, 30, but it's like, you still create the same concept of structure. It's better, better and healthier. It yeah. is. Yes. Before I was working. Mm -hmm. I had an obligation. I had a wife. I had two young children I was raising. I had took a train in the morning. I commuted to New York. You know, yet there was a lot of walking. But other than walking, I did not actually do any. Uh, well, I'm going to exercise now for 30 minutes. That didn't happen. I didn't go to a gym. I didn't do any of that. Gyms weren't that popular also back then. You know, lifestyles have changed now mm -hmm. the whole idea of going to a gym or having a trainer 
Yeah. We had a train a trainer. Right. <laughs> a trainer was somebody who trained your dogs. Yeah. <laughs> not, not human beings. Yeah. I want to share a quote from the book that comes from Seneca, um, another another great author um, and philosopher you love. And mm-hmm. it reads, It is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Life is long enough and sufficiently generous amount has been given to us for the highest achievements if it were all well invested. But when it's wasted in heedless luxury and spent on no good activity, we are forced at last by death's final constraint to realize that it has passed away before we knew it was passing. So it is. We are not given a short life, but we make it short. And we are not ill-supplied, but wasteful of it. Life is long if you know how to use it. So I read that passage from your book, which I found very poignant to, to, to so much so to write down. And I want to ask you, what if someone listening to this right now is at the spry age of 50? And in their estimation, they have not used their life well. How do they respond? How do they change trajectory based on your experience? Okay, that's a good one for us to consider. Obviously, the first thing is, where are they in their career? They may still be at a point in their life where they have to devote most of their mental and physical energy to doing the job which I understand, but then they should also look at it and say, am I doing everything, am I doing things that that hurt my health? I won't be 50 forever. There's a vast difference, you know, they say if you think of your life in decades, from from 20 to 35, we're all about the same age. Then 40 to 50, there's a change in men. There's a big change and women. And 50 to 60, an even bigger change. You know, then then 10 years becomes more like 12 years or 15 years every 10 years. So I think when you're 50, you should say, hmm, I'm 20 pounds overweight. And that means probably when I'm 60, I'm going to be 30 pounds overweight. And this is stupid and I don't need to do that. So I could take, and so since I know that my grandfather and one uncle had heart attacks, I want to do something about that. I think people should look at their DNA history and find out, do you have a history of something in your family? You know, all the Flaherty's died of different things, but they all died before 60. So I thought, well, (laughs) maybe I won't be around so long. Um, So to do that, if, if people have the opportunity, I, I I loved what I did being a creative director. I thought it was a wonderful job, just being totally judgmental that I am anyway. <laughs> um, and I started a second business without any plans to do it. I found an abandoned stack of stone, bought it, and established a country inn conference center in a boonies town, a very iffy business, and made a success of it. Worked 70 hours a week <laughs> to make it successful. And it was it was wonderful, and I'm 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 very happy I don't own it now. Uh, actually, live across the street from it. Um, but people in their fifties, I think, have to look at what am I doing and try to look ten years mm-hmm. ahead. I tell everybody if you can't if you can't look ten years, then where do you want to be in five years? And if you can't see it, find it. I mean, you can't just say, well. I'm going to be, I'm taking, going to take the same 752 train every morning from Larchmont to go. No, that's BS. You, you've got to try to analyze what your future is going to be and what you can do to make it 
more productive for yourself and for your family. We all have, I was a person of obligation. I thought everything was based on, I must take care of my wife and take care of my children and be a good father and take, you know, do all those things. And, and on a job, I was, I was like hiring your favorite nephew. I came to work early. I did my job. I didn't go out and get drunk. The two martini lunch never existed for me. You know, I mean, I always had a real obligation to try to do it and to try to do it better, better than they expected mm -hmm. me to do it. You know, and if, if people can do that and take pride in what they're doing in the job, that alone will give their life a boost. It really does give you a boost. It's not just getting the promotion. I I was amazed to find myself at age 33. That would have been 1968, right? 1968, I was earning $80,000 a year. I think the equivalent now is something like $500,000 a year, you know, and I thought, holy moly, how did that, how did that happen? <laughs> Because nobody was giving me anything. Mm -hmm. I was just, I started from below the bottom of the ladder and and worked my way up. I'm, I do believe in that old expression, there's no such thing as luck. I believe in the harder you work, the luckier you yeah. get. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's no, don't, don't count on your life as I'm going to win the lottery. <laughs> yeah. Which I know a lot of people are living their life that way, thinking any minute, Somebody's going to leave me a million dollars. Yeah. Now, another question I have for you is you asked some powerful questions in your book, Embrace Your Age. And one is this. Would you want you as a friend? And I think that's yeah. a really powerful question that I don't think many people have like have, have asked themselves. Can you speak into that question? Maybe with some real life examples from your life and stuff like that? I have because I've actually... Uh, used it and had very deep and hard conversations with it with some of my closest friends here. I said, you know, every time I'm with you, I won't use her name. It's like visiting somebody in the ER. You know, it's one big whine about one medical issue over another, over another. Forgetting the fact that you were brilliant at mm -hmm. whatever her career was, and you were brilliant also at doing this, and you don't do those anymore, and you don't talk about those anymore. All you talk about is poor me and huh, and nothing. And I said, it's it's hard to be your friend. It's hard to, I said, I, I see you and I, I go home and I'm a little depressed. So let's all try to work on <laughs> I think to be a friend, you have a, fr a friendship is an obligation. You have you really have an obligation to a friend to bring something to the party. You know, you can't you, you're never going to be invited to dinner if you just and sit take. there yeah. slumped over. <laughs> yeah, come mm -hmm. on. You know, it's it's being part of it. I'm a member. I it's funny. I have a new friend in life whom I love, a rabbi and his wife, are, who are very close friends. I, I went to a to a temple for a, a memorial service and fell in love with the guy. And he calls me a collapsed Catholic <laughs> because I'm an elder, a ruling elder in a Presbyterian mm. church and sing in mm. the choir. Nice. <laughs> and, 
and I'm I'm the bossy one on the board of the church. I'm the one that says, nah, no, 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 we're not going to talk about that for three more years. We're going to do it mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah, so. But again, it's 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 stepping out of my comfort zone. Oh, by the way, in November I had to be the minister for one Sunday. Oh God, <laughs> it really it, that really worried me. I've spoken for years and at the end of a boardroom table and to mentor groups and to audiences, but to stand behind the pulpit, I thought, holy, holy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm going to give God a migraine any minute. But it, it's uh. It's very interesting. But I think to be a friend, you must, to be a friend, you have to work mm-hmm. at it. You can't just accept the fact, well, I'm here and, and I have a dinner party or I take them out now and then. No, you you have to contribute. Mm-hmm. You have to contribute to friendship. You have to contribute to an organization. Contribute to your church, to your community, mm-hmm. to your family. People say, I. it kills me. I have people who say, well, I haven't, I haven't spoken to my son in 22 years. I think, Jesus, God, have you written a letter? Well, no, because he he said he didn't want to hear from me. I said, why don't you try? <laughs> why, why don't you try? Why don't you try again? I mean, there's no such thing as saying, well, it doesn't matter because we've fallen out of, we're not in sync with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. That's just yeah, crap. it really is. You know, I I I want people to. I don't know things like that annoy mm-hmm. me. I must tell you. By the way, I'm, can I can I show Please my do. book? Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Embrace your age and the subtitle, which I mean mean you can be better mm-hmm. than ever, and I I mean that, and I and I signed it under a smart ass comment under the end, an optimistic octogenarian with a bright mm-hmm. future. <laughs> You know, because I I say, yes, I'm 87, but that doesn't mean that life mm-hmm. is over. Life is, I don't know, why people can't accept the fact, you know, if if 50, if, if 50 is, is midlife, then that means you've only lived 50% of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Look at right. it that way. Then the last 50 can be terrific. Uh, Chip. What was yeah, that Chip, one? Chip Conley, was, maybe. Chip Conley, there was one time and a half. You work overtime and get paid one and a half times your normal pay rate. Norma, Nor, America works overtime and the country's longevity grows by one and a half times from 1911 when it was 52 to 2011 when it was 78. Pretty miraculous, right? But maybe we've worked too much overtime as our longevity has suddenly started to decline mm. even before mm. COVID. The stressed out American longevity rate today has dropped to where it was in 1996. We've even fallen behind Croatia, Chile, Cuba, and China. And then he said, how might you increase your longevity by reducing your working overtime and increasing your living and loving overtime? Mm. Which is true. Living and loving, sharing, giving. Yeah. If you you know, if you can do something good for somebody when you don't expect anything in return, that's really a great yeah. feeling. You know, I say to people, do something silly. I said, really try it. 
smile, take somebody who has a, a thankless job, the, the nice lady, maybe she's nice, maybe she isn't, who's checking out your groceries. Smile at her and say, aren't you nice putting all the frozen goods in one thing? And this is a nice day. And she will smile back at you. And she'll not only smile at you, but she'll turn to the next customer and smile hmm. at them. So you pass on a little bit of goodness. Yeah. From one person yeah, to the next. It fills, it fills both cups. Made, That's free energy right there. A little bit, a little mm -hmm. bit better. Yeah, you make life a little bit better for mm -hmm. somebody. You know, that's terrific, I think. So in, in Embrace Your Age, you tell a story from a Vietnamese monk, uh, Tich Nhat Han. Uh, oh, wonderful, wonderful uh, writer. A wonderful too. writer. And yeah. uh, I want to I share this little passage because I, I think it's really interesting. And it goes like this. Okay. I the, this monk is sitting with a tree, and he says, "I asked the I asked the leaf whether it was frightened because it was autumn and the other leaves were falling, and the leaf told me no. During the whole spring and summer, I was completely alive. I worked hard to help nourish the tree, and now much of me is in the tree. I am not limited by this form. I am also the whole tree, and when I go back to the soil, I would continue to nourish the tree. So I don't worry at all." As I leave this branch and float to the ground, I will wave to the tree and tell her I will see you as soon, see you again very soon. So that struck me, and I'd love you to speak into that the, the message behind that story and that mindset as it relates to aging. And I think that's a question maybe of like what our identity is, how it relates to our sense of self. Like, are we a leaf? Are we a tree? Talk to about that story and what that means to you and how it relates to aging, please. Yeah, I think as we get older, perhaps we're we're not as much the leaf as we are the the tree. But what we are is for the next generation is very very important. I'm right now. I'm I'm feeling very grandfatherly. I just came back from England, where one of my daughters has lived in England for thirty four years. So I have two terribly British <laughs> grandsons. It's, I, I always laugh when I have six foot one guys say, hey, grandpa, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, they get their height mm -hmm. from me. Thank, thank you. I, I've shrunk to six feet, but I was six, three nice. and a half in my younger years. And I think with age, if you can pass on the enthusiasm for living and the joy of living to the next generation, it's important and it's very necessary now because the millennials, which are the biggest age group of all, uh, are a strange age group. They're, they're conflicted about capitalism versus socialism versus communism. They're conflicted about, do I want to raise children in this world that doesn't have climate control, mm -hmm. is financially uneasy, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's COVID, there's this, there's that. So they're not having as much as many children. They're not getting married. You know, life was simpler in my age. I grew up, you knew you were going to go through college. You're going to get a job so you could earn your own living. You'd meet the girl or boy of your dreams, get married, have children. That was engraved on your mm -hmm. skull. <laughs> you know, and it never occurred to you to do something else. Now I watch my grandsons six years with the one lady who, who's darling and they are getting mm -hmm. married. They've decided they are now. They've worked out all of their issues after six years. <laughs> I think that's terrific. I got married in eight weeks, I think, or nine <laughs> weeks. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
But I think as an elder, uh, besides helping your own family and to help, especially if you can deal with and communicate with another generation, you know, all these, this Dan Buettner has found all these blue zones. They're all multi-generational. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. you know, where they have three generations living mm-hmm. together. And so I think for the younger generation to look at me, my grandsons look at me and say, wow, grandpa, <laughs> they find me exhausting <laughs> a little bit because I'm saying, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> let's get moving. Let's do this, do that. Um but I think it's good for them, and I and I think that that's something that we can all do uh, as elders is to help others, help our communities grow. You know, I, rather than being oh well, they're just the old people over there; they don't count anymore. You know, that's it's a very uncomfortable feeling. I I hate to mm-hmm. see it. You know, and I, I see a lot of But it. also it seems like in that story too, as the leaf falls, so let's just, for the sake of the analogy, like at, through age and, and like the aging process, the leaf is finding its own gratitude and joy and contributing back in this new way of nourishment. So it seems like- Becoming fertilizer. Yeah, right. fertilizing the next generation. But it also seems like the intention too is not just that we as young people look out to elders and like provide and, and, and look into and-, and attack loneliness with love and connection, but also that perhaps elders could take the mentality of giving actively too. It's like a two, it seems like a two way street could be happening here. That would be really beneficial. Um, Mm -hmm. You're doing it in your family and your community and and, in even larger in larger aspects of that. I wonder how we can inspire more people like the club that you're making locally is a good example of giving people a platform to come out and share wisdom and interface like that seems like that's the falling leaf meeting the new fresh soil and yeah. and fertilizing really it, it really it, it really is i i'm you try to do it you know our life it's so strange now the effect of social media which it was not part of my life mm-hmm. life was simpler <laughs> growing up mm-hmm. you know not only did i grow up in south florida before air conditioning <laughs> <laughs> before air conditioning there was no social media. I didn't have to raise my children with them looking at a cell phone, mm-hmm. you know, which would have killed me. I we still and as they got older, we'd say there are no cell phones ever at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we talk, we look at one another, we talk to each other. Well, on that note of less phones, please talk to us about the importance of reading as a lifelong hobby and the importance oh, of reading. I I mean, as you know, it's a chapter in the book mm-hmm. because I've always said I wouldn't mind being if I was shipwrecked on a desert island, if there was enough food stored away, as long as I had my Kindle with seven. I have 1700 books on my Kindle <laughs> you know, so that God forbid I'm ever any any place and not have the right book to read. You know, I used to travel. I would take international trips and I'd have 10 books in the suitcase because I had to make sure that I would have the right book at the right time to read. And now I say to people, as you're growing older, God, for the first time, you have time to really read. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's good to read. Not only books that are, you know, the seven habits of really successful people and all those books that that are good for you. They tell you good things. They really are very good things. 
or embrace your age, which I think tells them really good things to do too. But then pick some wonderful fiction that is maybe, if whether it's historical fiction or romantic fiction or whatever in the hell it is, something that gives them pleasure. You know, and if they can't, if their eyes are getting bad, audio books are wonderful. Mm -hmm. They're just terrific. You know, right now I'm still able to read, which is good, mm -hmm. and uh, I I love it. I I I did an audio book of the of audio version of the first book. I haven't done one of this one yet, but I might. Um, well, I don't know. I I just want I want I want life to be better. I I, I it's very hard. People are growing older, and eventually, you know, old old means you're not going to be here forever. You know, but I, I do want, I do want people to say, while I'm here, isn't it great? Isn't it good that I had an opportunity that I d didn't go out thinking, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I try that? Why didn't I call them? Why didn't I reach out? No. Hmm. Yeah. The the idea, and I think that's a nice thing to end on too. This idea of living a life where you're not burdened by the weight of regrets, which I would say means that mm. you had stuff on your heart that you actually wanted to do, but you didn't do mm -hmm. it. And what I think you said mm. earlier in the conversation was make that list and particularly mm -hmm. about contacting people and relationships, because that's easy stuff, like writing the letter, sending the message, like it doesn't take that much time, but we often put that off. And maybe I'm just speaking directly to myself. Sometimes I have a list of people like, man, I should reach out to them. And I'm going to take the charge from this conversation that like the time is now. And, the, and that is mm -hmm. very important. And let's do it. So I'd love to yeah. turn the floor over to you, Jim, for like one more, one more bit of like a wisdom because there's been a lot in this conversation to share anything that you like as well as um your book embrace your age on amazon i want people to know where exactly they can find that and as well as your websites too oh okay yeah my my website is pretty easy it's james initial b for the i guess when you're doing phonetic spelling they use bravo for b mm -hmm. but it's so it's james b flaherty f-l-a-h-e-r-t-y.com mm -hmm. that's simple all right. And that will tell you about the books and where you can buy them and how you can buy them. Mm -hmm. And they're on Amazon. There are four, four books. There are two novels and the uh, two books, Embrace being the last book. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I want I want everyone to, to recognize, to say to themselves, boy, at this very minute, I am the oldest I've ever been <laughs> and the youngest I'll ever be. Yeah. You know, so I, I can't let the day go by. I mean, I. It's a great opportunity, you know. So, thank you so much, Jim. I think there's plenty here that people can sink their their teeth and their hearts great. into to to take some good action. And uh, thank you for being an inspiration. I'm I'm privileged to know you and to be a part of supporting your work. And I'm excited to promote your next book and then the documentary series and whatever else you inspire me to like. So hop on. I'm on the gym bandwagon. You have a big fan in, in me, that's for sure. I'll call after this this workshop with uh, Dan Butner. That should be fun. Yeah, too. that sounds fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fit Father Project podcast. If you love what you heard, please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really helps spread this show to more men who need this valuable info. 
to watch full video episodes of this podcast and other motivational videos to inspire your training and more, visit our Fit Father Project YouTube channel. It's free and everything's made for busy guys over 40 like you. Visit youtube.com forward slash Fit Father Project to get access to our entire video library. And finally, if you or someone in your life is interested in becoming a fit father or needs help losing weight, building muscle, and living healthier after age 40, then visit fitfatherproject.com where you can see our proven programs, supplement line for guys 40 plus, and free meal plan and workouts to get you started. This is Dr. Anthony Balduzzi signing off. I'll see you in the next episode.